So let's begin by setting our motivation. When I was a child, I clearly remember my grandmother expressing sadness about how quickly her grandchildren were growing up. She would say things like, I just can't believe you're already eight years old or however old we were at the time. And she'd say, it seems like it was just the other day that your mother brought you home from the hospital. And then she'd say, oh, I wish you weren't growing up so quickly. I just want you to stay as children so I can enjoy you. And then she'd say, life goes by so quickly. So when I would hear these things from her, I, I couldn't really understand what she was talking about then. And especially, I could not understand the sadness in her voice. And while I was still in the realm of kidhood, I remember other adults talking about how quickly life passes. get advice about not wishing my life away when I'd say things like, I'll be so happy when the test next Tuesday is over. So time has gone by, and it's gone by very quickly, and now I deeply understand what the adults in my life were talking about. Since we don't have any idea about the time we have left in this life, I see that it's so foolish to waste even one moment chasing after anything that only involves the pleasure of this life. As Geshe Sopa teaches in his commentary on the Lamrim Chenmo, there are many different things you can do in this life but so many of them are not essential. So what are the critical goals of a human life? Well, we all know, because it's true for ourselves, that everyone wants happiness and we don't want suffering. Everyone's prime goal is to be free of every kind of trouble, misery or suffering. Striving for the goal of true happiness is the essence of a human life and the best situation we can attain is Buddhahood. However, on the way to Buddhahood, there are various levels of religious goals. Using the right methods to reach those goals is the true meaning of extracting the essence of this life. So let's continue to deepen our current understanding of the teachings on the grounds and paths so that we can practice in ways that really direct our mind towards the ultimate goal of full awakening for the benefit of all sentient beings.
So good evening, everyone. Um, Venerable Children is away in Wisconsin. She's hoping to receive teachings from, I think the monks, the uh, Geshe's name is Gandan Jangse Chudan Rinpoche. Did I just say that incorrectly? Okay. <laughs> well, he's a very learned Geshe, and I apparently don't have the pronunciation, and you can't hear my colleague saying it correctly, so he's a very learned person. So she's uh, there at Deer Park, and he's going to be giving teachings on Nagarjuna's Fundamental Verses of Wisdom, and he'll also read from Tsongkhapa's commentary on the Ocean of Reasoning. So we're rejoicing that she's there. And um, in the meantime, we're going to continue on here with the quiz that Venerable Children created for us last week. So if you don't yet have a copy of the questions, um, you can write to office.shravasti at gmail.com and Zopo will happily send you a copy of the questions. And um, so tonight, I think what we'll do is if my friend is up for it here, um, I could simply read out the questions and then let everyone answer and then I'd get flack for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And all the audience online would see is me nodding my head because you won't hear the answers from the audience. And uh, so I think what we'll do is rather than seeing a nodding head, um, what I'll do is I'll give some of the answers that I've found or parts of answers and then I'll invite feedback from everyone here. And if I make, when I make mistakes um, or it's unclear, um, the people here will help out. And if you're really confused by the end of the night, you can write your answers to Venable Children and send those, <laughs> send those questions to Zopa at the office. Um, so I'm just going to have to move my tree just a little bit. Sorry. So if you do have a copy of the quiz, there's 16 questions. And the way we've decided to go about this is one of the residents here will take four questions for each week. So tonight we're going to do the first four questions. And um, as I was going through the material again, I found that in looking back at all of this, I found it was so difficult way back in May when we started this. So the teachings on the grounds and paths started a year ago, more than a year ago on May 12th to be exact of 2011 and when Venable Children started on this text I, my mind just started to fry it was just spinning because the language was so unfamiliar there's so many terms and I just got lost in the, the language and now that we've had a chance to go through two quizzes already and just reviewing the material again and again I think we're all finding that the material is more accessible and we're getting a deeper sense of what this is about and how exciting it is to find out about what it takes to become a fully awakened being. So I'm just rejoicing that we have this incredibly rare opportunity to hear these teachings. And through these quizzes, we can really support each other in gaining a deeper understanding of what the material is. Um, the other thing I noticed is that prior to hearing these teachings, I had an idea of what we're going for. I mean, we know, you know, a, a Buddhist is going for Buddhahood, right? That would make sense. But I see now that I had this uh, vague understanding of what that entailed. 
and I've heard, you know, teachings about the Buddha's qualities and different techniques for, you know, developing concentration and wisdom and compassion. But it was this sort of murky, mysterious way of getting to that state. And so where I didn't understand it, I filled it in with fabrication. And as we know, for anything that's a mystery, it's just foggy and unclear. So this is really making the path very clear. And in, and in doing that, for my mind, I see that it's something that is attainable. It's not just for people who are already um, tulkus or geshes or highly learned people or Tibetans or people with the right genetic material. It's for every single one of us who you know, has the opportunity to hear the teachings and meet with a spiritual teacher and just work our minds. So we're going to start. And the first question is, how are the exalted wisdoms of meditative equipoise directly realizing emptiness? Uh, how am I reading this? How are the exalted wisdoms of meditative equipoise directly realizing, realizing emptiness of fundamental vehicle aryas and of arya bodhisattvas similar? And how are they different? So I'm going to start off by handing it to the audience. How are these too similar and you can call out the answer you don't have to raise your hand they both realize emptiness directly and they do that without being polluted by predispositions of latencies of the, of the ignorance or the latencies of ignorance so in this mind state they are exactly the same exactly the same so, what are the differences? In motivation. So, the one setting out on the Arya Bodhisattva path has the motivation of Bodhisattva. Right. To get to the awakening state to benefit Right. So, I'm going to just repeat what Zopa said and I'm going to add a little bit more. So, the motivation is different. For practice, practitioners of the fundamental, fundamental vehicle, the wisdom realizing emptiness isn't accompanied by great compassion. Um, so they're not under the influence of great compassion because they're looking for their own liberation. The reason that bodhisattvas are um, practicing the entire path is to attain full awakening for the benefit of all living beings. So their wisdom realizing emptiness is under the influence of great compassion. So there's two other ways where they're very different. Terry. Right, they don't have the collection of merit yet. What else? wisdom is enriched by its study of Right. So this is the way that they are very, very different. Bodhisattva's understanding of emptiness becomes very, very vast because they have many, many different ways, lines of reasoning for understanding emptiness. Whereas practitioners in the fundamental vehicle usually use one reasoning. So they go with that and then they realize emptiness. And as Terry mentioned, the... Um, the practitioners in the fundamental vehicle don't have the same amount of merit. And the bodhisattvas have the 12 kinds of characteristics that come in sets of 100. So as 
the level of the Bhumi grounds go up, um, so does the number of these sets. And in the fundamental vehicle, they don't see any Buddha lands because they don't have these 12 characteristics. Okay, so we're going to go on to question two. And at first glance, this looked like a very simple question with a, like a one-line answer. So I'm going to just read the question and see what we've got here in, in the room. What is a bodhisattva ground? What is a bodhisattva ground? Right. So from the text, just to embellish on what Zopa just said, the text says it's a clear realizer of one who has entered the Mahayana path, which serves as the basis of the many good qualities which are its effect. So paths, grounds, vehicles are all synonymous. And these refer to consciousnesses. These are mental states that's not referring to external things, as the words might suggest. So a mental state that acts as a stable, strong basis for developing good qualities of a bodhisattva, this is called a bodhisattva ground. So a clear realizer has entered the Mahayana path, and one enters the path by generating what? Bodhicitta. Venerable Children went on to explain a bit more about a ground and a path. She says, a ground is a type of wisdom consciousness imbued with merit that can bring about many good qualities, the good qualities of a fully awakened one. So grounds and paths imply something that occurs over time. It's a basis for developing good qualities. The words indicate the process that we have to follow, and this shifts our attention away from being so goal-oriented. And so as we go through the quiz over the next four weeks, we're going to hear again and again about how long this process is going to take. It's a long time. But as Venerable Children says, what else have we got to do? So that always comes back to my mind. Now, the text then says, when Mahayana grounds are divided, there are two. So, what kind of, so what are the two? So the names of the grounds are causal grounds. Yes, causal grounds and effect or resultant grounds. So tonight we're going to hear again and again how things are divided into two, and I see that there's some wisdom in this because two seems possible for my life, but each one is just a big number. So continually we divide things into two, so that when we look at the whole thing, there's really each one Two is good. So a causal ground is where one is still learning and practicing, and one does not yet have all the realizations yet. One is still a bodhisattva. An effect or a resultant ground, one is a Buddhahood, and it's also referred to as the path of no more learning. So when Mahayana causal grounds are divided, there are two. So what are they? 
Right. So Bodhisattva common beings and Bodhisattva superior beings. So when the uh, Bodhisattva common being grounds are divided, there are two. And so what are they? <laughs> yes. So it's the path of accumulation and the path of preparation. And what this means is that one has either no realization of emptiness at this point, or one has had a conceptual realization of emptiness. The definition of a bodhisattva superior ground, so now we're going to go to the superior ground, because I thought we better cover all the bases, because when Venerable Children comes back, she might say, what about these? So uh, this is um, the bodhisattva superior ground is a bodhisattva superior's exalted knower, which is affected by both the wisdom directly realizing emptiness and great compassion. So we've got uh, these beings called Bodhisattva Superior. They're also known as Aryas and Noble Beings. And these are Bodhisattvas who have attained a direct realization of emptiness, a non-conceptual realization of emptiness. And it is this that is a demarcation between the common and the superior beings. So what are the paths that fall into the category of um, the Bodhisattva superiors, Aryas and Noble Ones? Path of seeing, path of meditation, and path of no more learning. Sure. Oh. Yeah, I double-checked that, actually, because I thought that it would be just the two, that it would be the path of seeing and the path of meditation. So I, I went back and checked, and because, Venerable Trini? A Buddha is an Arya. So then I thought I'd go on and talk about the ultimate ground of an Arya Bodhisattva. And this is a bodhisattva's non-conceptual exalted wisdom of meditative equipoise, perceiving emptiness without means of a conceptual appearance. So this wisdom of meditative equipoise is a unity of serenity and insight. Its nature is non-polluted. So what does it mean if its nature is non-polluted? It's not polluted by ignorance or the latencies of ignorance. And it's affected by great compassion. So Venerable Children explains that during this meditative equipoise, the mind is pure. So, you know, when I first heard this, I thought, well, how could the mind be pure? It's a Buddha's mind that's pure. And she went on to explain that it's this kind of mind at this stage is not affected by ignorance or, or its latencies. The person still has these. But it's that particular mind, it's the state of the mind at that time that is free of ignorance. Affected by great compassion means that this compassion is not manifest in the mind at that time. Because when the Bodhisattva is perceiving emptiness directly, only emptiness appears to that mind. So there's no manifest great compassion at that time. The compassion is latent. 
Venerable Children then went on to sort of further explain this, and she said that before going into the meditative equipoise on emptiness, the Bodhisattva has generated the Bodhicitta motivation. This has motivated the meditation, but that mind of compassion is not manifest during the meditative equipoise on emptiness. So when I was thinking about this, I was trying to imagine what that would be like. And the closest thing I could come to, which is just worldly, but I think we've all had the experience of uh, getting, or I've had the experience, I'll speak for myself, of getting really mad at somebody. And then in this particular memory I have, I got really mad at my dad. And he is a very good mimic of people. So he was mimicking how I was looking when I was so upset with him and it was so good I started laughing and you know so I couldn't hang on to the anger that mind of anger went and this mind of hilarity came up and then that made me even madder <laughs> so, you know anyway I don't know if that's appropriate but that's what came to my mind so then the divisions of the grounds of the Bodhisattva superiors are the ten grounds and that'll be examined later on in the quiz I won't go into that now Okay, so we're on question three. In terms of what factors are the ten grounds differentiated? So I think before I invite um, answers, I'll just give some background to this. So the grounds get the name grounds because of serving as a basis for good qualities. That wisdom realizing emptiness serves as the basis for different good qualities that the bodhisattvas have. Because of the increase of these good qualities and that wisdom acting as the basis, then that wisdom is divided into ten grounds. Wisdom realizing emptiness is not divided into grounds depending on the object it realizes because all it realizes is emptiness and all it perceives is emptiness directly. So an ultimate knower immersed in emptiness just doesn't see anything else. So the, this wisdom is divided into grounds on the basis of the qualities that the bodhisattvas display in their post-meditation times. So another way of saying that is that the ten grounds are ultimate bodhicitta, the wisdom realizing emptiness. These grounds are differentiated based on what the conventional mind is capable of at that particular time. So the good qualities of the ten grounds have four parts or four factors. So this is what we're getting to in the question. So what's the first factor for the ten grounds? Right. So it's the, and it's actually, the official name is called the mode of achieving qualities on the first ground. And this refers to the number of good qualities which increases with each ground. So on the first ground, one achieves the 12 sets of 100 good qualities. And as the Bodhisattva progresses on the grounds, these 12 sets of good qualities multiply. So I'm just going to go through the numbers just because it's fun to think about these numbers. I'm not going to go into the qualities because that's someone else's job further into the quiz. Um, so this is how, the, how these good qualities progress. Um, let's see. So on the first ground, there are these, these 12 qualities are seen 
200 times. On the second ground, 1,000. On the third ground, 100,000. On the fourth ground, 110 million. On the fifth ground, 1,010 million. On the sixth ground, these qualities are multiplied 100,010 million. On the seventh ground, these good qualities are multiplied 100,010 trillion. On the eighth ground, these good qualities are multiplied to a number equal to their particles of a billion worlds. On the ninth ground, the good qualities are a number equal to the particles of 10 million billion worlds. And on the tenth ground, these good qualities are a number equal to the particles of an inexpressible number of an inexpressible number of Buddha lands. <laughs> so I was just curious about how one of these numbers would look. And since I'm not a math person, I did find one of the numbers, but it's not exactly one of these numbers. And then I didn't want to spend the rest of the night on the internet looking for um, one of these, like 100,010 trillion. But this is how a thousand trillion looks. So, does that fit on the camera? There's 21 zeros. And by the time we get to the 10th ground, these numbers of good qualities are far beyond this. So that was really cool to look at. This is only a thousand trillion. Well, I couldn't find it there, but it's in between the sixth and the seventh ground, I think. It's big. Okay. So, what's the second factor? Right. It's the mode of achieving majesty of power. And what does this refer to? This refers to the afflictions that they're able to eliminate. So each ground has more and more ability to eliminate these obscurations. And the third factor? Right, it's called the mode of surpassing practice of a perfection. So each ground focuses on a different perfection where the bodhisattva's body, speech and mind are further and further refined and they reach this state of of something called unsurpassable. So I just thought I'd give you the, what each ground perfects and then you'll hear more about this further into the quiz. Um, the first ground, the perfection that reaches the unsurpassable state is the perfection of giving. The second ground, the bodhisattva perfects ethics. On the third ground, the bodhisattva perfects patience. On the fourth ground, the bodhisattva perfects effort. On the fifth ground, the bodhisattva perfects concentration. On the sixth ground, the bodhisattva perfects wisdom. On the seventh ground, method. On the eighth ground, wishes. On the ninth ground, power. And on the tenth ground, exalted wisdom. So this next um, bit of information is from Jeffrey Hopkins. And he says that all ten perfections are practiced on each ground, but a different one is brought to fulfillment on each one. So what this means is that when the bodhisattva on the first ground brings giving to fulfillment, it does not erode from that place of fulfillment while the bodhisattva moves up to the consecutive grounds and brings those to fulfillment. 
So on the consecutive grounds, so on the tenth ground actually, all the, all the ten perfections are in a state of complete development. So they're practicing all these perfections on each of the grounds, but they target one on that and bring it to full, unsurpassing fulfillment. And the fourth factor. Right, mode of taking virginal rebirth. So with each successive ground, a bodhisattva is able to take higher and higher rebirths, giving them more and more power and ability to be of benefit to sentient beings. As a bodhisattva ascends the grounds, a bodhisattva gains the capacity to be born as a being of greater and greater influence. As his or her virtues increase, she's able to outshine or suppress greater and greater numbers of beings and more powerful beings, not for the sake of exercising power, but for the sake of helping them. The ability to help becomes more and more vast. Each ground sees a not formerly seen ground of freedom. As the wisdom increases, the bodhisattva is capable of eliminating a deeper level of obstructions. So when you're on the first ground, you can't see the true cessation of the second ground because your mind has not yet eliminated those, eliminated those obscurations. They're yeah, I didn't see that either. And actually, Jeffrey Hopkins' book doesn't really go into what 7 through 10 are about either. So I think that's a good question for venerable children. Okay, okay we're going to move on to the last question. So the last question is, describe the Mahanya path of seeing, its meditative equipoises, the subsequent attainments, the minds that are neither. Give examples of each. What is abandoned on the Mahayana path of seeing? So I think a good place to start with this to, is to um, start off by saying that one enters the Mahayana path of seeing when one attains the direct realization of emptiness. So the first moment of the path of seeing, there is no appearance of subject or object. So now I'm going to read from the text. And I remember hearing this months ago and just thinking, <laughs> I don't know what Venerable Children's talking about. That sounds really important. <laughs> so here it is from the text. The definition of a Mahayana path of seeing is a Mahayana clear realizer of the truth. When these are divided, there are two, exalted wisdoms of meditative equipoise and subsequent attainment of Mahayana paths of seeing. The definition of an exalted wisdom of meditative equipoise of a Mahayana path of seeing is a Mahayana clear realizer for which dualistic appearances have vanished. So it's making a little bit more sense. So here we go, and if you hear radically wrong things, just wave your hand and scream. So, apparently what this means is that the subject realizing emptiness and the object do not appear as separate things. The mind and the mind realizing emptiness have become fused like water in water. There is no appearance of conventional objects at that time, 
for that mind is focused single-pointedly on emptiness. There is no appearance of conventionally existent objects or conventional truths. And this is because conventional truths to all minds, except a Buddha's mind, always appear to have the appearance of true existence. So then this got, I got very confused about this. And so I thought, well, what about conventional truths? What about conventional anything? And um, then Dunbar went on to explain that conventional truths exist, exist, but they're not perceived by a bodhisattva's meditative equipoise on emptiness that is a direct realization. So I thought, well, how can that be? And then she went on to explain something that we all, I can get. It's in the same way that our ear consciousness doesn't see colors. The fact that our ear consciousness doesn't see colors doesn't mean that colors don't exist. It just means that there's another mind that sees colors. So then she asked this question, which is a great question. What would it be like to realize anything non-dualistically? without a feeling of me sitting here understanding that. And this is really something to marvel at, you know, to eventually have this ability. Um, what I'd love to get a hang on first is, we were talking about this earlier today, in fact, but I was writing these thoughts two days ago. What I'd love to get a direct realization of first is impermanence. I think that would be so cool but I can't even imagine really how that would be um, right now I get that moments arise and moments cease and that the, this is happening as a moment arises it's already ceasing and sometimes we can see things sort of disintegrating in front of our eyes but that's even slow motion compared to what I think we'll be able to see and realize when we get a direct realization of this so a few years ago, I thought I was getting this figured out, and I'll just tell you how my mind was. Um, I think it was at a Cloud Mountain retreat in 1999. Venerable Children asked us to go out on a walk, and when we see something, try and see it without the conceptual mind telling a story about it, and just notice what your mind is doing when you see something. So actually, this is probably the first time I was there. Um, they have these slugs at Cloud Mountain that are huge, and I'd never seen a slug that size in my life. And so when I saw that slug for the first time, it was like, huh? and I could feel that there was no story yet because I didn't know what I was seeing and I didn't even know if it was real. So in my mind, after a while, and then getting this exercise from Venable and going out to see ferns and other plants I hadn't seen before, I thought, this is on the way to a direct realization. I'm sure of it. That, you know, my mind is not making a story. I'm seeing something and I'm going, huh? and this is it. This is where I'm headed in the right direction. <laughs> so then I had the same experience when I went to Nepal in India and I saw the Bodhnath stupa and I had the same reaction. It's like, <gasps> and you know, and there it wasn't a slug, of course, it was this very virtuous object. So then I concluded that if it was a virtuous object, this mind that becomes so absorbed in the sort of the <gasps> is getting towards direct realization. And then, of course, at the Bodhgaya stupa, that feeling was even bigger. It was like the mind sort of gets taken in by this image, which is so powerful because it's such a powerful object. So I was really convinced that I was getting somewhere <laughs> a direct realization. Well, we know that's just... <laughs> it's the ignorant mind <laughs> making stories. Anyway, so 
Uh, I thought I'd tell you what it does take to get a direct realization. And this is not my wisdom, this is Geshe Sopa's wisdom. So he says, and this is in the, uh, his commentary on the steps to the path of enlightenment. In order to have a direct realization of anything, and in this case he uses the truth of suffering, you first have to have a clearer recognition of it. You have to learn about the topic. And then you have to analyze it and you have to think about it for a long time. And once you have a clearer understanding of this, then you join your analytical meditation to stabilizing meditation. You focus with single-pointed concentration on the recognition that emerged from your analysis. So by harmonizing an analytical and stabilizing meditation, these realizations become truly integrated with your mind. So you can see how far off I was. <laughs> it's good to be able to laugh about it or cry. <laughs> so the meditative equipoise of the Mahayana path of seeing is divided into three. And what are those three? Tani, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to call on people right now that are looking like they're going to sleep because the, it's really hot in the room and it's just hard to concentrate. Anybody, what are the three? Venerable Yeshi is hiding. Yeah, so there's the uninterrupted path, the liberated path, and the paths that are neither. All right, so what happens on the uninterrupted path? You don't get the antidote. You have that actual antidote operating. I'm sorry? I understand that you have the actual antidote process. Okay, I think that's one way of saying it. The antidote is in operation. In the process of, right, right, right. So the uninterrupted path is in the process of abandoning the acquired afflictions. And so, what happens on the liberated path? They're gone. They're abandoned. The uninterrupted path is so named because, without interruption, a bodhisattva passes into the liberated path, which is where a certain level of afflictions has been abandoned. So this uninterrupted path is powerful enough to work at eradicating all the acquired afflictions, especially the grasping at true existence, which is great to know. The liberated path is where all the acquired afflictions, these are the ones that we get. How, what are the acquired afflictions? Which ones are they? Wrong views. Wrong views. Right. So these are the ones we acquire through wrong views, wrong philosophies. Thanks, Jack. <laughs> so at this point, on the liberated path, these have been eliminated. And how long does it take going from an uninterrupted path? How many meditation sessions does it take? Same session. Same session. I can't wait. <laughs> Except I'm not even on the path yet. How many eons does it take to get to that session? <laughs> many eons. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Can I check something though? You may, but I don't know if I can help you. This grasping abandoning the grasping Right. Okay, so Venerable Chodi is raising the question about abandoning grasping at true existence 
at this point. So all I can say is that this is what I believe I heard in her teachings, and so we'll certainly check that. Well, I took the thing right from the root text. I can tell you what it said. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so uninterrupted path. I'll read both. This okay. is helpful. This is directly from the root text. Uninterrupted path. That which is one, an exalted wisdom, a meditative exploit of a Mahayana path of seeing, and two, an actual antidote to the artificial conception or acquired grasping of true existence. The acquired grasping of true existence. The text has artificial conception. That's also Jeffrey Hopkins' words. Yeah. But she uses acquired grasping of true existence. So acquired grasping. And then in the liberated path, is that which is one an exalted wisdom of meditative rectors and Mahayana path of seeing and to distinguish by having abandoned the artificial or acquired conception or grasping of true existence. Okay. Okay. Which and that's what she was talking about too, the um, course level of grasping that we were pursuing. Right. Right. So that was all in there. So it was a, it was quite confusing. But yeah. It was a grosser level or a coarser level of grasping at yeah. the it's interesting because level. then I have some notes here about these that might help with that. Do you want to put on the mic? Okay. I think that would be helpful. Okay, I'm going to repeat this for with the mic in my hand. So I'm just going to read what the we had a question about what's really happening with the uninterrupted and the liberated paths on the path of seeing. And so I'm just what the root text has is that uninterrupted paths. And this is exact quote that which is one an exalted wisdom of meditative equipoise of a Mahayana path of seeing and two an actual antidote to the artificial conception or acquired grasping is another translation of that of true existence. So basically on the uninterrupted path you're you're kind of working applying the antidote to acquired grasping of true existence. And then the liberated path is the text says that which is one an exalted wisdom a meditative equipoise of a Mahayana path of seeing and two is distinguished by having abandoned the artificial or acquired conception or grasping of true existence. So at that point you've abandoned it. And then the question came up of, uh, it was a little confusing to Venerable Chuni about, Venerable talking about, what was it, the, can you explain your question again? That, Here, that let me give you the mic. Okay, so because I have something to add. Okay, so so it was a it was a question, and this is really a question. It's not like I have an answer, but there was there was a discussion about the elimination of the acquired affliction, even on this level, and and it came boiled down to like one of the wrong views was identified as the view of a personal identity. But what we were, she was talking about was that this was a gross level of so eliminating the coarse level of the view of the personal identity on this on this uh, level, and then we don't actually eliminate the the root entirely until we complete the whole path, right? And so I don't know the answer to that, but what I can say is that then when they go on and divide the uninterrupted path, you get these eight forbearances. Yeah. Yeah. And in that, it, it, it kind of, are you going to go into that? Yeah, but um, why don't you say your I'll just say... This is the definitions from Jeffrey Hopkins. 
He says during the eight for or not the definition, but a comment by him in meditative meditation on emptiness that I found helpful. He said during the eight forbearances, the realization of the lack of inherent existence is applied to objects and subjects, to the four noble truths, and the subjects that realize the absence of inherent existence with respect to them. So you'll probably explain that better. Well, okay. Well, then I'll give it back to you because you probably have the other one too. <laughs> so it's good that we're in this together. Um, I'm going to just continue from where you left off, Venerable Tarpa, because I have the same quote from Jeffrey Hopkins. He says that uh, through the direct realization of the emptiness that qualify these objects, the acquired afflictions of inherent existence with respect to the Four Noble Truths are simultaneously abandoned. And on the liberated path, these eight knowledges are produced simultaneously. Okay, you better get the mic back. Um, so what I understood about that was that what you might be doing at that time would you be you would be realizing the emptiness of inherent existence of the four noble truths and of you as the subject meditating on the four noble truths, for example. Maybe other people remember things. That's what I got out of that. I did find my notes on the other question. Okay. Okay. So what this says is the 16 moments of the knowledges and forbearances eliminate the three fetters with their seeds. The three fetters are the view of personal identity, the view holding bad ethics and conduct as supreme, and deluded doubt. So we usually say that the path of seeing eliminates the acquired afflictions. Um, and there's something about the present view, etc., 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 uh, but really, the seeds of afflictions are not abandoned until the eighth boomi, and this is where we said what these are are the coarse level. Of, yeah, the sixteen moments of knowledge and forbearance we were just talking about eliminate the three fetters with their seeds, and those three fetters are on this ground: the view of personal identity, the view holding bad ethics and conduct as supreme, and deluded doubt. That's uh, June 7th. So here, this is grasping at the self-sufficient, substantially existent person. That's the course level, not the uh, deeper. Oh, that's how they use the word jigta. Right, 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 right. So anyway, cleared up. All right, we're going to go on and take a look at the path that is neither neither an uninterrupted path or a liberated path so one example of this that I found is that this is um, this can refer to an arhat who has gone through the paths of accumulation and preparation and is now on the path of seeing since that person has already abandoned the acquired afflictions, this meditation cannot be called uninterrupted or liberated because the person has already done that. So that is why this is called neither. When the arhat enters the Mahayana path, they have already abandoned. And here, the, 
the tape did say grasping at true existence while in the fundamental vehicle in order to, to abandon the obstructions to omniscience which is the second level of obstacles they must accumulate the collection of merit for two countless great eons while moving through the Mahayana paths of accumulation and preparation so right now this person is training chiefly in the collection of merit our hats can't just enter the path of seeing because they don't have the merit. They're starting over in a certain way um, by spending one countless great eon accumulating merit on the paths of accumulation and preparation and another countless great eon collecting merit on the first seven bhumis on the path of seeing. Venerable Children goes on to make the point that although our hats have already realized emptiness directly, they have done so by using just one line of reasoning. What they also have to train in on the wisdom side is understanding emptiness from a variety of reasons, which is what a bodhisattva does from the very beginning. Bodhisattvas want to understand emptiness from all different lines of reasoning because they're going to be teaching sentient beings and sentient beings are going to find some lines of reasoning more helpful than others. So if we want to benefit sentient beings, we've got to learn all sorts of things, as she mentioned, that we might not otherwise learn or want to learn or do and maybe we don't want to do but we do them because they're necessary to proceed on the path so if you think of things that you've learned at the Abbey things you did do and didn't want to do and things you've learned and didn't want to what was the criteria in the end for doing that what was the criteria I mean you're not going to just learn anything Well, if it's beneficial, right? And if it broadens our mind. Anyway. So another example of um, a meditative equipoise in the path of seeing that is neither is when a bodhisattva meditates on emptiness. So now we're referring to an initial level bodhisattva. They're just building up their understanding of emptiness. And at the same time, they're creating merit. But their merit isn't yet to the point where it can um, go into the uninterrupted path of meditation. They've already worked through the uninterrupted and liberated paths, parts of the path of seeing, but they need to continue practicing for a very long time before they get to the path of meditation. So that makes sense. Initially, they go through the uninterrupted and liberated paths, but they can't zoom into the path of meditation because they don't have enough merit. So they need to continue practicing. And what else? Um, these are So these are neither uninterrupted or liberated paths of seeing but they are Mahayana paths of seeing which are meditative equipoises on emptiness and they have to keep familiarizing their mind with emptiness and at the same time in post meditation time they need to create a lot of merit so how does one create a lot of merit six far reaching practices ten, ten in this case All right okay and then there's something called the subsequent attainment. What's that? Time off the cushion. Time off the cushion. So the definition is, it's an exalted wisdom of subsequent attainment of a Mahayana path of seeing. The Mahayana clear realizer of the truth, which does not realize emptiness directly. The Bodhisattva is still meditating and doing a lot of other things 
So in this state, the meditator is having the appearance of true existence, but they know it's not true. Or they're doing some other kind of meditation. So what other th kinds of things could they be doing? And it would fall in the category of subsequent attainment, besides the ten perfections. Yeah, with a good motivation. Working in the forest. Yep. And if you're at this stage, you could go to Pure Lands to make offerings. That would be fun. You can manifest in different forms to help sentient beings. And it could be manifesting as, you know, any kind of human being or any kind of animal or a cup of coffee or something, a bridge. <laughs> giving spiritual advice to people, comforting someone when they're grieving, going to Albany Falls to buy some kind of tool and talking to the people at Albany Falls and sort of slipping in some tidbits of Dharma without being obnoxious <laughs> or proselytizing. So making making karmic connections with people. <laughs> so that's what I have. That's what we have as a group. Um, thank you to everyone here for the help. And uh, I hope that everyone who hears this will have more questions and you can send them to Venerable Children. And uh, <laughs> let's continue working on the next four questions for next week. One of the residents here will lead the discussion. And uh, in the meantime, let's rejoice that we have this opportunity to go deeper and deeper with these teachings and understand where we're headed. So let's dedicate. Due to this merit, may we soon attain the awakened state of Guru Buddha, that we may be able to liberate all sentient beings from their suffering. May the precious body mind not yet born arise and grow. May that born have no decline, but increase forevermore.